the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Some people ask questions from the Bible Live leaders. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. We are in the saddle and ready to go. Thank you for joining us tonight, folks, for The Bible Live broadcast. Here on a great Sunday evening, beautiful day we've had. Can you believe this weather? It keeps going from cold and wet and rainy, and then uh, you have these 90, 95-degree days. I, yeah. I don't know. There's a quote my dad used to say when I was a kid, only fools and foreigners try to predict Texas weather. <laughs> well, exactly right. Except nowadays we have all four seasons every day, right? <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's the winter in the evening, uh, night, uh Spring in the morning, summer in the afternoon, and fall in the evening. So it's just, uh, that's the way I explain it at least. It's going to be like 79 one day, real hot, sunny, and then the next day it's going to be, you know, 40-something. chance of rain. Yep, exactly. Well, it'll it'll level out here pretty soon to just hot. <laughs> hot and hotter. <laughs> That'll probably be what, what it'll be like. Welcome, everyone. This is the Bible Live. Soapy Dollar here, your host. And guide as we make our way through the scriptures every year, from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. And we do it every year. 20 years now we've been going through the scriptures. Right now we are in the books of First and Second Samuel. We finished up Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And we kind of alternate back and forth between the Old Testaments and the New Old Testament, the, the Tanakh and the New Testament. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Matthew, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Mark, uh, and so on. You get the idea. And we've we've been kind of going along here. Knock, like knock. Knock, knock. I like Tanakh. <laughs> Tanakh. The Tanakh. I like Tanakh. Yes, I like Tanakh. And <laughs> and uh, most of us do like Tanakh. Exactly right. So we are making our way. We have First and Second Samuel. Uh, this past week... We finished up the book of First Samuel and are going to go right on into Second Samuel. Now, these were originally one book. My understanding is they were divided at the time of the translation from um, Hebrew to Greek uh, somewhere, if I remember correctly, 34350 B.C. in Alexandria, the the um, the Hebrew scriptures were translated into Greek. What is called the Septuagint, seventy uh, authors, seventy scholars who uh, 
participated in that work of translation. And then uh, at that time, First and Second Samuel were divided. If I remember correctly, though, Samuel and the kings were a part of a continuing history called, uh, let me see, it seems like they were called the kingdoms or uh, one through four kingdoms. It seems like they were... All, they were all together, First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. So it's very interesting uh, the the history of these. But uh, at least uh, Samuel was at least uh, at one time one book. Um, assuming they were written near the same time, they must have been completed in their writing around nine nine thirty one B.C. Because there's a reference to the divided kingdom in First Samuel chapter twenty seven. Uh, the the united monarchy under Saul and then uh, David and then Solomon uh, at that time in uh, uh, 930, I think it was B.C., divided into uh, Israel, the ten tribes of Israel in the north and what was called Judah in the south. Uh, after Solomon's reign, uh, they, they um, reigned from 1050 B.C. to 1010 B.C., uh, 40 years. But now, it isn't like Saul reigned clearly in in a very non-stopping way, 1050 to 1010. Uh, they were on again, off again. The king um, sort of had seasons. He he was uh, not consistent at that stage. Remember that, that uh, they had had, uh, up until that time, they had been ruled by judges, who were just raised up on the moment, uh, according to the need, and and Saul was probably living a little bit according to that uh, that sort of a model, um, but he found he became pretty soon he became uh, used to ruling and so on, but anyway he he ruled on again off again for a forty year period from ten fifty to ten ten, David uh, ruled from 1010 to 970, another 40-year period. Uh, His early years, though, about nine years, were not over the United Kingdom. They were still somewhat divided after uh, Saul's death. And then the northern tribes came along and joined in, uh, and they united under David, uh, the United uh, Kingdom of Israel. And that was, of course, the, the Golden Age, of um, Israel's influence, their wealth, their their um, their, their safety, a period of safety in time of, of uh, it, w- it was a golden age for them in Israel. And then when David died, Solomon, his son uh, from Bathsheba, not not the first son uh, who died, but uh, uh, another son of Bathsheba, and. David's son Solomon took the throne. He was not the eldest, but um, for reference to Bathsheba, from deference to Bathsheba, uh, David supported Solomon's uh, bid for the throne following him. So Solomon went another, as well, 40 years until 930, from 970 to 930 B.C., and then the kingdom divided upon his death, the ten tribes in the north followed um, uh, Jeroboam. And Rehoboam, Solomon's son, 
became king of the two tribes uh, in the south, uh, Judah and Benjamin. So that's that's kind of the history there of those early kings. What we're into now is just in the time of Samuel. Samuel, it covers about a hundred years following the period of the judges. Um, Samuel was a contemporary, it is thought, uh, of uh, Samson. He was born approximately 1105 B.C. Uh, remember his unusual birth. He had uh, his parents were Elkanah and Hannah, and Hannah was without children and and suffered uh, a lot of abuse and uh, kind of oppression by uh, 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 Penina, I'm sorry, the other wife of, of Elkanah. He had two wives. Yeah, I mean, every time that if people have more than one wife, it seems to work out not too well. There's always a little bit of, of um, problems on, at the family level, uh, it seems like. So uh, Elkanah uh, has these two wives. Hannah gives birth to um, Samuel, and he, as, as a result of her prayer, Eli, remember the story, sees her praying and thinks she is drunk, uh, intoxicated, but she is not, and then... She surrenders her child to to be uh, to learn from and to be a serve to serve at the tabernacle under the priest, the high priest Levi. I mean Eli, and so Samuel grows up there in the ministry, learning about the ministry. As he's young, remember he hears the voice of the Lord in the in the night. He doesn't recognize it as the God speaking to him, and he thinks it is Eli. So several times he goes to Eli. Finally, Eli says, well, next time you hear it, just say what? Yes, Lord, your servant is listening. And so that is in chapter 3. And so at that, Samuel begins to hear from the Lord. He hears God tells Samuel about uh, his rejection of Eli because of his children, um, Hophni and Phinehas. Uh, they, are, they are unruly and they're, they're disobedient to the Lord. They're disrespectful of the people's offerings, for one, and in the, of course, uh, uh, sexual immorality as well. And so they uh, die on the same day. Eli gets the news and falls off of a log and breaks his neck, and he dies as well. So uh, it, the, the entire lineage of Eli is cut off at that stage. So um, anyway, we've read up through that part, and we commented to a great extent on that last week. We have some of these early adventures of uh, the Ark of the Covenant being uh, captured by the Philistines. And remember the Ark, they took the Ark of the Covenant. And, and of course, we, we commented on that is using uh, using the Ark of the Covenant instead of uh, reverencing and, and using it as a place of worship, reminding of God's faithfulness to them and so on. They began to see it as sort of a rabbit's foot, sort of a good luck charm. And so they went to battle and they decided to haul it out, thinking that that would be their good luck charm. And it did not work out as well at all. And, of course, we have to remember that ourselves. Sometimes we think of, uh, you know, we wear a cross around our neck or we carry a Bible or we do, and we think this is a good luck charm. And, of course, we've all heard stories of, people in battle or people in danger in some ways in the in the Bible figuring into the story. And I'm not here to deny any of that or that God can do that, but we've got to be careful about using 
God and the things of God as good luck charms. Uh, that that isn't the plan at all. Uh, to reverence, to respect, to remind us of God, who God is, and what He is doing, His faithfulness to us. Yes, that's one thing. But to see it in and of itself as a good luck charm, um, you know, kind of forcing God's hand to um, to protect us or, or whatever it to bless us is not not the design. That's not the plan. So anyway, we've gotten down through. Uh, from uh, Samuel, we went through chapter 14 last week, and that got us into the uh, reign of uh, Saul. And Saul was the handsomest man in the kingdom, head and shoulders above everyone else. He was uh, popular, at least at the beginning. Uh, but and that gives rise to what I'm thinking about tonight, uh, as we look through these stories, when it moves from Saul, now it, uh, you know. Of course, you have Samuel involved. He has taken over from Le- from Eli. Now he anoints Saul to be the first king of Israel, and uh, Saul is a disappointment. Um, and, and we can talk about that. What they what this gives rise to in the books of First and Second Samuel are a series of what we could call character studies. Uh, we can look at these different individuals, and e- any one of them can teach us a great deal, and we can we can learn from the experiences of these different ones, from Eli uh, to Samuel and his ministry. Both of these men uh, had problems with their children, which could be a word of a, a, a warning and a word of guidance. For those of us in the ministry, not to avoid our families, not to neglect our children, our responsibility to our families. Um, the Eli's children and Samuel's children were both, both unfaithful to God, unfaithful to the ministry, and were a disappointment and uh, became a detriment to the ministry of their fathers. Then you have Saul. We could uh, study Saul and think about him, and he seemed to be strong in some ways he seems to be shy which is in some ways admirable a little bit of shyness remember they they were going to anoint him and crown him king and he was found hiding in the luggage <laughs> hiding out so in some ways his shyness is a little bit attractive to us that he's not big headed or anything but you know extreme interest introverts and extreme extroverts both have the same problem, basically. As you know, there's some people that are extroverts. They kind of, uh, I, I happen to be an extrovert. I was always kind of outgoing and 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 happy-go-lucky, and I like people, and so I'm confident, I guess, at some level, at some degree. Uh, but I do know that being an extrovert uh, doesn't mean that you're others-centered. Uh, and, and neither does being an introvert. Being an introvert, being quiet and kind and thoughtful and not very outgoing, uh, we think of that person as being kind of shy and, and others-oriented, but that's that's not exactly true. What we do know from behavioral scientists and so on, uh, psychology and so on, is that extreme e- extrovert and the extreme introvert both have the same problem. They're both obsessed with self. Uh, they're they're 
their eye is on themselves. Uh, the the introvert may maybe has lack of confidence, so he he doesn't launch out. The extrovert has lack of confidence, and and launches out to hide the lack of confidence. It, it's it's a strange sort of a dichotomy, a little bit of a of a contradiction, but uh, it is true that both extrovert and introvert on, on the extreme levels have the same problem of, of obsession with and basically a self-oriented mentality. And so maybe that'll help some of you who are listening. You can kind of think, oh, okay. And the point is to come to a point where we become others-oriented. And not for ourselves, but we just, at some level, we become certain and confident enough in our own self with with ourselves uh, and happy with ourselves as we are. And I, the only way I knew how to do that was through my relationship with God. As I uh, came older, uh, got about ninth or 10th grade in high school, I began to realize how much God loved me, that I, he was with me. And that became my my anchor. That became my confidence and my security in him. And that gave me the, the security to not think about self so much. And, and this was really, I have to say, this was, I remember this well. I was I was living in an orphanage uh, with 400 other boys. And uh, I, I remember going through a very specific time about the ninth grade. I guess I was maybe 14, 13, 14 years age. And I remember thinking, you know, you think, you're thinking all the time about yourself. And so I had to go through a period of time where I just, I, I, I decided to just shut up, <laughs> believe it or not. I just made the decision I'm not going to talk so much. I'm going to listen more, and I'm really going to focus on more on other people. And I did that intentionally for about a year. In fact, to the degree that some of my teachers and some of the uh, the dorm parents, the supervisors at the boys' ranch where I lived, they begin to worry about me. What's wrong with Sophie? He's, you know, just like my personality changed. But I was intentionally just deciding not to try to think so often of myself and to give more attention to others. It, it was a, it was quite a year for me. I, I some later I resorted to my outgoing personality, but I had learned a very valuable lesson, and that is just to depend on the Lord to a greater degree, not perfectly by any means but to a greater degree to to make others the object of my attention and my emphasis. Uh, I remember the, the chaplain speaking on joy. Uh, joy comes when you make Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. Uh, I remembered that. It, he taught that somewhere about that period of time, and I grabbed hold of that and tried to uh, intentionally just kind of discipline myself to become more others-oriented. Uh, well, we, we see that, of course. As I say, we can look at these characters, Eli, then there's Samuel. And, of course, we can study the personality of Saul, who, as I said, is at some levels was an introvert. Um, then uh, uh, there's another person here that we could take a look at that I think is quite interesting, and that is Abigail. From a f- female point of view, Abigail is a remarkable woman. She became the first wife of David, King David, uh, and you see the the experience that he had with her. What chapter is that in uh, Abigail? It was in First cha- uh, cha- Samuel chapter twenty five, 
And uh, a remarkable woman, this Abigail. She was the wife of a fellow named uh, Nabal, uh, Nabal, which in Hebrew means fool, <laughs> the word itself. And he was rather foolish. He made some really bad decisions, had a very unruly temper. And he, Abigail saved his life one time. And then just 10 days later, he had a stroke and died uh, after his wife had saved his life from, from David and David's men who were going to, um, you know, they were a little bit unhappy with him and they were going to take it out uh, on him. So um, anyway, that Abigail is an interesting uh, character study. And what I mean by a character study is we look at this individual and we ask the questions of, of who they were, how, how, what they were like, how they became like that. Uh, what was their develop? What were their strengths? What were their weaknesses, and so on? Uh, and we could make a good character study out of a number of these people: Eli, Samuel, Saul, Abigail, and then David himself. Of course, a very interesting individual. The youngest child of, in a family of eight boys. He's the youngest, and uh, he is uh, evidently has a lot of skill. He's a musician. He's a uh, hard worker evidently he's out tending the sheep he's a shepherd a shepherd boy uh he's a little bit of an irritant to his older brothers it looks like but a courageous brave and clearly a person of faith willing to take great risks um seemingly based only upon his zeal for god and his trust in the god of abraham isaac and jacob his god uh, he seems to take it very personally and is able to risk his own life in a battle, for example, with Goliath and in other risky situations. He is looked upon as a leader, as a man of influence by Saul, who takes him into his palace guard, his palace uh, staff. And he's a musician. He's a poet and so on. And he has a great friendship with another someone who's an interesting personality or character study, and that is Jonathan the son of Saul. And Saul is very ambitious for his son. But Jonathan Jonathan seems to be very healthy. Uh, he would probably have been a good king in some ways, he, but he wasn't something he latched onto and, uh, with ambition and he had to have. He noticed, he believed that God's hand and calling was on, um, was on David and he befriended David. They became good friends, the two of them. Uh, he, Jonathan is courageous, very brave. He's honorable, uh, and he's spiritually sensitive. Uh, he loves God. He loves uh, he loves God. He loves David, who also loves the Lord. And he's not filled with a lot of selfish ambition. He's willing to let God choose who the next king would be. And he saw that it was David, and he was uh, he was all right with that. Uh, instead of just oh no, I've got to be the king. I'm the king's son. Uh, very, very interesting. So all of these people are great character studies, and that's what I'm going to ask you some questions tonight about Eli, about Samuel, about Abigail, about Saul, about David, about Jonathan. I'd like to kind of get some of your thoughts about these individuals, what you learn from them. Oh, there's some others as well. Uh, Abner is Saul's general, General Abner, and then David's general is uh, General Joab. Boy, he is a piece of work. Joab is, uh, he is one mean dude. And yet he seems to be a man of faith. Very clearly uh, seems to 
revere the Lord, worship God. He warns David uh, when David is takes that uh, census that he feels like maybe he shouldn't take. Um, he seems to be sensitive to spiritual things as well. So, but these are men, men in uniform. These are these are military officers, Abner and Joab, and they make a very good character study as well. So that's what I'm kind of thinking as our as our as our focus this evening as we look through the book of First Samuel and, and going right on into Second Samuel. Look at some of these individuals and see what are some of the lessons that we gather from them in terms of their relationship to God, in terms of their just relationship to God as it relates to how we live our lives here. And, and of course, spiritually, what was their relationship? What kind of relationship did they have with God? We don't, uh, we don't get the same emphasis in terms of did they go to heaven or did, you know, did Saul eventually go to heaven to be with God or did he not? Did, did David, did Samuel, did Eli? Um, those kind of questions don't seem to be so prominent uh, in the Hebrew Scriptures. The, the plan of redemption, the plan of salvation is not so clearly totally sp- uh, spelled out as we have it in the New Testament. But uh, we, we, we have to think in some ways that how did these people, how were they in their relationship with God. So uh, we'll take a look at all of these questions and I'll welcome your phone calls 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. That's the Bible Live call in line and I'd like to get any of your calls this evening that if you have a thought about these individuals that we read about in 1 Samuel, uh, whether whether it be Eli or Samuel or Saul or Abigail or David or Jonathan or General Abner or General Joab, uh, I'd love to see what kind of lessons you gather from their experiences, the adventures that we cover this evening. So give us a call, 210-340-9585. We'll be right back. Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family, that's Suzanne and me plus our three children, for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit and washed in His blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my 
You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Andy Travis. Perfect submission. Beautiful song. Isn't it those old hymns? All is at rest. Well, let's get back to our Bible Live broadcast. Let's get in now to the book of First and Second Samuel. Uh, these are books of history written in all probability by Samuel, except the later chapters. <laughs> must have been written by someone else when they, uh, of course, describing his own death and so on, and uh, later on into the reign of King Saul. So we have these individuals. Let's see, how do we approach this? Uh, One thing I was noticing in in all of these things, in all of these different individuals, we see uh, God's hand at work. Uh, We see God uh, judging Eli for the misbehavior of his children. Same thing with Samuel. We see God judging Saul in some ways. And I I, I think I mentioned to you last week, I, I had a conversation with an individual that uh, one of, reading the Bible kind of for the first time and uh, just kind of being a little bit angry and a little upset with God because of the way God judged individuals. Uh, in, in particular, I'm thinking that it was Moses. When Moses was uh, uh, disobedient to the Lord in terms of the way uh, the second time he was to provide water, God told him to uh, speak to the rock and water would be provided. He he hit the rock instead. The first time he was called upon to provide water, God was going to provide water through him. Uh, he told him to um, hit the rock. This time he said, speak to the rock, and Moses didn't. He hit the rock, and that plus something about his attitude when he says, do we have to provide water for you? A little bit of a self, a little bit of an arrogance there, uh, attributing the power to provide water for the people to himself instead of um, and to God. It's um, And that was a little bit against the character for Moses. Normally he... Moses was quick to give God credit and praise, give God glory for the things that he did, and acknowledge that the the things that he did, God did. And, and of course, that's one of the attributes, that's one of the things that we see in any uh, of the men of God, is they tend, whether it's Samuel or David or Daniel, they, they seem to be very quick to give credit to God, that that. God is the one who judge, and they they respect and go with God's judgments. Well, this individual that I'm talking about had some real problems. He thought that God was too harsh, and and I've talked to others through the years. It's not not sort of rampant, but other people who tend to try to want and sit want to sit in judgment on God for the way He treated certain people, the judge His judgments in the lives of certain people. They question God in his ways, like why Moses couldn't enter the land, you know, all because he, he hit the rock instead of speaking to it. And uh, so they're, they're, these are very interesting considerations that we probably want to look at as we consider these different individuals. All of these people at some level, 
gave their lives to God or acknowledged God uh, in, or at work in them, with them, through them. And so in some ways, God had, they had if they had given their lives to God, not God was not abusing their personal uh, will because they had surrendered their will and themselves to God. Um, so we we want to consider that as we think through these stories. And as you think about these individuals, the priest Eli, uh, Samuel, who took over the priesthood from Eli and, and then kind of bridged over. Remember, Samuel is a bridge uh, personality, a, a character. He bridges from the time of the priest to the emphasis on the prophets. Uh, the last beast, last of the priests, the first of the prophets. He's uh, also, he bridges from the time of the judges to the time of a monarchy, time of the kings. Uh, so we, he is a transition person. We see God at work. This takes place all about somewhere around a, a, a thousand years B.C. It's halfway between the time of Abraham. Abraham's calling and the Abrahamic covenant took place somewhere around 2000 B.C., and in all of those things that we read about in Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua, then Judges, all of that took place in about a thousand-year period. And then you come to this Samuel, who is in this period before the kings, at about a thousand, uh, like I said, the first king is anointed uh, Saul, becomes king in 1050. So that's till about 1100. So you got about... A thousand years, and this is the midway point between the Abrahamic covenant and the coming of Messiah Jesus uh, of Nazareth. So this is the time, and 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 God has dealt with them all through this period, uh, all through the time of the patriarchs, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then the time of Joseph, and the time in Egypt, four hundred years. Then coming out under Moses' leadership, then to Joshua. Uh, and now we come to under uh, Joshua. We had the time of the kings, and then we now—I'm sorry—the time of the judges, and now we've come to the time of Samuel and the transition to the monarchy. The two kingdoms uh, are divided in 930 BC uh, after the reign of David and Solomon. So I hope you're able to kind of think through and walk through the the biblical history. It helps you be able to do that when you read the different books. So you kind of put them in, in their order and you kind of get a sense in the big picture of God's developing revelation of himself and of his redemptive plan in the human race. Uh, not only through these people, these individuals that we're talking about and uh, the the people group called Israel, um, the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants, but also uh, at this time, of course, other nations are developing and growing and empires are rising and falling around them. Uh, and the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and David is being, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is being pro preached, is being revealed in and through the people of Israel, uh, the nation state, the people group of Israel, and then through them and their kings, through, particularly through David and Solomon, um, David in, in particular is very, very obedient to the uh, command and to the principle, the emphasis of making God known to the other nations and people groups around him. 
So we see that going on during the time of David and Solomon. All right, well, let's kind of get to it. If you have a phone uh, call for me, 210-340-9585. I guess my first question would be, of these individuals, Eli, then you know the, the priest Eli, then Samuel, then you have Samuel choosing Saul. Saul is out catching his father's runaway donkeys. Uh, <laughs> he's out on his holy mission. <coughs> to find these animals, and he meets Saul and is anointed to be the first king of Israel. Uh, he's from the this small little tribe of Benjamin. What do we know about the tribe of Benjamin? Do you remember anything from the time of the judges? What do we remember from the tribe of Benjamin? Uh, give me a call. I'd like to see someone remember that because uh, Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin, uh, no, is that right? I believe it is. Yeah, I hope I'm getting this right. Uh, yeah, I believe the tribe of Benjamin, and uh, it is Benjamin has had a very that tribe has had a very unique experience. Remember, we read about it at the end of the book of Judges. What happened to them? So, uh, if you can remember that, give me a call. I'd like for you to talk a bit about that. Uh, what tribe was Saul from? And then. Um, we we come to uh, Samuel. What what was the deal with Samuel? What I, I mean with Saul? What he, he seemed to be he tall and handsome. He was popular at some level. He what was it that caused him to be rejected as the king? Uh, he not long, in fact, after he his reign began, he was already at some at some level rejected by God. His dynasty, his his family would not go on to be uh, kings, his lineage. And so what What was the problem that Saul had? Do you, have you got a handle on that? Why do you think Saul was rejected? What did he do wrong specifically, and what was that wrong action a, an indication of in terms of his relationship uh, with or t- to God? Then, of course, we are introduced Samuel through Samuel to a young man named David. He goes to a very, evidently a, a fairly prominent family uh, from the lineage of Ruth and Boaz. Actually, uh, goes to this family and he has eight sons, and uh, he rejects all of them. That we get a very good picture there in, I believe, it's First Samuel chapter sixteen. The way God, the way God chooses people. There's a wonderful verse in chapter 16, verse 7. Uh, it says, um, Samuel uh, uh, is greeted. He goes to Bethlehem. He's greeted. Uh, he's told to go to Bethlehem and find a man named Jesse who lives there. For I have selected one of his sons to be my king, God tells him. So um, Samuel goes to Bethlehem. And he takes a heifer and come to say you've made it a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice, and I'll show you which of the sons to anoint for me. So he does that, and he says, I've come to sacrifice. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice um, for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice as well. And he takes one look at Eliab, the oldest son, he says, surely this is the Lord's anointed. 
He must have been tall and handsome and strong, maybe like what Saul was. But the, the Lord immediately cuts him off. Look at chapter 16, verse 7. It's a major verse because it not only in the in the story of how the next king is chosen, but it, it's a major verse because it talks about the way God views human beings. The Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Now, how do you think we vote for and elect our presidents? In, in so many cases, I'm kind of afraid it might be how good looking, how telegenic they are, how how they how they talk. Are they a good talker? Do they look good? Do they? Uh, s- some ways we judge by appearance, but God says, "Don't judge by appearance or height, for I have rejected him." The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them, he tells Samuel. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Then he summons Shimea, but Samuel says, neither is this one. So he goes through all the seven sons, and he says, well, is this all? And he said, well, there's still the youngest, but he's still out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once. <laughs> uh, we will not sit down and eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought, and he anointed David with the oil in the presence of his older brothers. Can you imagine that? And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on, and Samuel returned to uh, Ramah. Interestingly, in the presence of his brothers, and later on you see David almost has the same problem that Joseph had. Remember Joseph and his, he was was clearly a favorite of his father, Jacob, and there was a little sibling rivalry going on, and, uh, and you see a little bit of that later when David is selected to to serve in Saul's uh, court in the palace. And then later, whenever he goes and has his battle with with Goliath in chapter 17, uh, David's brothers are, they they see him as little brother. They don't don't really respect him that greatly. Uh, I don't know if there was something about David. I think he seemed to have confidence. Of course, he was much younger. He was perhaps 12 to 14 years of age at that time. <coughs> it is thought he was a young teen at 14 to 16 years of age when he fought Goliath. So we're talking about a very, uh, in our terms, in our day, a young boy. Of course, he's over 12, so he's 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 had his, you know, he's become a man uh, in in the in the Jewish sense. Um, 12 years of age and over. So um, anyway, uh, we see David growing, maturing. And the one thing that we continue to see is that he seems to really love God. He honors God. He loves God. He trusts God. Uh, I don't know how seriously, I assume he took very seriously this anointing by the man of God, by the prophet Samuel. Um but it's 25 years from the time he is anointed to be the next king of Israel. 
he has to wait 25 years for it to take place. Uh, and even at that time, it's basically it's waited a few more years for it to be nationwide, all the tribes of Israel. Uh, it's a very interesting thing. God's One thing I see, God's understanding of time is not the same as ours. We we have we're not accustomed to think we think of our lifetime we think uh down the, we have our plan thought out and we march toward it and yet in reality we're called upon to live and and there's nothing wrong with making plans nothing wrong looking down the pike down the road and kind of thinking what we'd like to do or what we feel like God wants us to do as best we can determine and to prepare ourselves and but we have to live in the present. Uh, we, we can't just simply wait until someday I'm going to serve God. It, you, you may have the dream of serving God someday, doing something great for God, something significant for God's kingdom. But if you're not doing it now, it's unlikely you will do it later. Uh, we can have a long-term view, but you have to, you have to serve God today. What, what is it God puts on your heart, what in your mind, in your hand to do today? Are you being faithful to do what you can today? And and then God will use those things. See, God, God doesn't guide a parked car. Have you ever tried to turn the steering wheel on a parked car? Ugh, you try to, it's just hard. But if you're moving, if you're in motion, you're already serving God, it's easier for God. It's just an illustration, of course, but it's easier for God to direct us and for us to be flexible and to be responsive to God when we are moving. So you need to, at all times, be serving God where you are, how you are today, and then God can guide you, open up more doors, change your direction, uh, open up opportunities for you, and that seems to be something that we, a principle that we can. Uh, get from these individuals, from these lives of these people. Um, David is serving God, loving God, doing what he can for God. He's not just sitting around waiting to be king. He went and served in the palace. Uh, he plays his musical instrument. You know, sometimes he, I remember a story uh, of, well, probably a story of a lot of God's people. I don't know the intimate story of of Billy Graham or Bill Bright. I, I know a little bit more about Bill Bright, the founder of the ministry I'm a part of. Uh, became fervent, began to follow God, did what God wanted him to do in a time he wanted. He was a businessman, made a great deal of money, a very successful businessman, went to California, went to seminary, went, studied uh, uh, go, uh, in, in, under, in a congregation there and a great spiritual leader they helped disciple him and and others and uh so when it came time to move and start this ministry that was going to help re fulfill the great commission in the whole world he was willing to take the step and took the little steps and did what he had to do from day to day he and his wife started a ministry there at ucla university of california los angeles led about 250 students to christ in the first year uh, started small group discipleship with them, and then uh, under them called some of them into the ministry, and then it grew it and grew it and grew it. And in the matter of ten, fifteen years, they were talking about staff and the hundreds of staff 
and, and thousands of disciples. And then they began, it, it, they just took steps of faith along the way, but all the time they remained active. They weren't sitting, sitting around waiting to become a huge giant organization. They moved on the basis of what they had and who they were and the resources God put in the, and the opportunities God put in their hand. The same thing would be said of a Billy Graham. I was reading the other day about that great ministry that lasted for decades as well. Uh, the two Billies, Bill Graham and Bill Bright, uh, that God used for a whole generation of Americans, uh, about 50 years from the 1950s to 2000 into, the, into, the, uh, into this millennium. And Billy Graham was also uh, on, on the staff of a youth organization and, and felt like God called him to be a, an evangelist. He was busy doing tent meetings and just doing the hard work of preaching and then went to L.A. And God put it on the heart of the uh, owner of the, of the the Los Angeles Times, I believe, believe it was, and says, uh, push Puff Graham, in other words, uh, get behind Graham. And that made Billy Graham a national figure, and he went on to lead revivals. And a lot of people think that the revivals that Billy Graham led and preached at were remarkable. There's no doubt about it. But the greatest impact that Billy Graham, that his crusades had, apart from the preaching, of you know tens of thousands and over the years, of course, I think millions of, of believers, part of his crusade was that people would be trained to counsel new believers to lead young inquirers to faith in Christ and then to start small group follow-up and, and to disciple these new believers. And the work of making disciples was one of the most important labors of the Crusades. All of the cameras and all the emphasis, a lot of that emphasis was on the crusade itself and the messages and the invitation. But behind the scenes, there were hundreds and thousands of, of men and women who had been trained who had been uh, discipled and made strong in their faith and given resources and tools to be able to share their faith with others. And, of course, after the crusade, as we've seen right here in San Antonio, uh, from our own crusade in 1997, there are hundreds and hundreds of men and women who learned how to share their faith, learned how to lead others to Christ, learned how to, to disciple others in uh, small group Bible studies. So, there, you you see that going place, and and this whole idea of God and time, is one of the things that you'd want to take a look at when you look at the life of uh, David. David used his time wisely, like I said, it's twenty five years from the time he was anointed to the time he became king, and yet he wasn't standing still. He was serving God. He was taking steps of faith, and God used that. Uh, in so very many ways, the relationships that were formed and the experiences that he had, all of those poured into late, his later experience as the king, the leader of the nation. So uh, one thing we can learn from the looking at these character studies and all these individuals is is the way that God acted and the way they understood God to be acting and God's understanding of time. Uh, <laughs> in their life. Well, we'll come back and we'll take a look at more. You can give me a call. I'd love, still love to hear what some of you think of Eli, Samuel, Saul, Abigail, David, Jonathan. Do you have a, a thought about these people? Do you have an opinion? Is there something about any of them that kind of touches you and has given an important lesson to you? I'd like to hear from you. 210-340-9585. Uh, don't go away. We'll be right back. Give me Jesus, who can help this whole world? Give me 
You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. All right, we are back after beautiful children singing of the blessing of God uh, on all of us. That's a wonderful way to get into this third segment, our final segment tonight. We're looking at the book of First and Second Samuel. We finished in our reading. Remember now, we read through the entire Bible every year. If you'd like to be a part of that and reading through and listening to the scriptures with us, go online, thebiblelive.com or biblelive.com, and you'll find on their front page, the opening page of the website, just scroll down a bit and you'll see every week, Monday through Friday, there's a 15 to 20 minute Bible reading every weekday. Go and click on those. Uh, the first, uh, the daily reading is right there in front of you. You, you can uh, listen to that quickly each day and hear a 15 to 20 minute reading uh, from the scriptures, First and Second Samuel here. And then, uh, of course, from here we'll be t- going after we finish First and Second Samuel. We'll be going back and picking up with the Gospel of John. We've read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We'll go pick up the Gospel of John there, and our next uh, the next time we alternate over into the New Testament. But we're going to be in Second Samuel for a couple of weeks here, and uh, you can listen to those readings easily uh, in your cell phone and your wherever you whatever instrument you have to get online. You can listen to the reading there in the car as you're commuting to work or back wherever you wherever you might be. And listen to the scriptures with us as we each day, each weekday, 15 to 20 minute reading from the scriptures. And then uh, over the year, you hear the entire Bible. And of course, here on Sunday night, we scriptures yourself and just personally go through the entire Bible, listen to them. And, uh, and, and maybe if you have your own notebook, jot down some of your own notes about it. If you follow along in your own Bible, if you're at home or a place you can do that, you can jot down a few notes and observations in your own Bible as you read, as you listen to the scriptures and reading through at the same time. Uh, A lot of different things you can do. If you go through in a group, you can uh, then discuss it together with the family. Uh, For one, you can discuss it together with us on the radio. Uh, Just a a lot of different ways you can read the scriptures being available to you there uh, at the Bible Live uh, website. So uh, go there, join us. Uh, there's also a lot of questions for study emphasis. There's a list of about 30 or 40 questions with each week's 
readings that that will help you remember and retain some of the facts and some of the lessons learned from the scriptures. So uh, I hope you'll join us. Let's go through the scriptures together and and, and, uh, return uh, this emphasis, this understanding of our entire society, our, our nation was based and built on biblical principles uh, that had to do with, with uh, the way God guided the people, his people in these different times, the lessons they learned, the, the principles that were brought out. And that, that used to be a consensus of, of, of a foundation for the, the moral fiber and for the uh, structuring of our nation, uh, independent with individuals. Uh, everything was to, to move away from a big, big, strong, all-encompassing, all-powerful central government. It, it, uh, they were warned. Samuel, in fact, warns the people. When they say, give us a king like everybody else has, he warned them, oh, you don't want a king. He's going to take your men and women. He's going to take them into war. He's going to tax you. He's going to do this that. He, he warned them of all the difficulties and all the complications that would come of a powerful central government. Uh, and that they they could have a king and not be um, dependent upon the king and the government. That that's the ideal, and that's what our founding fathers tried to put in place was a a government structure that was there and strong and had certain functions, had certain things that the government was responsible for, but not for every individual life, that we took care of each other in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, uh, at the state level, states' rights. And so uh, most of that authority was at, at the the lower levels. But slowly but surely, the the the, uh, the federal government, the large central government has taken over and taken over. And we can see, we can actually literally see why they were warned against that. And uh, so we're, we're still not at that point yet uh, here in Israel, of course, under David, and then later on, particularly under Solomon, uh, it became all-encompassing, you know, great central government, and he spent them into oblivion. And that's one of the reasons there was a civil war and was taxation was just driving them to poverty, was uh, taking away all of the wealth the hard work of the people, and so on. So anyway, we there's uh, there's a lot of things you can learn as you look through the scriptures, and ask the questions. Of, you know who God is and what He's doing and how He's guiding the people. Whether it's uh, and He's talking about them the way they live here on the earth, how they get along and how they treat each other, how they relate to one another, uh, or of course the spiritual questions of what uh, our values and morality, and, and of course eternity looms in the future how we will uh how we where we will go after this life is over all of that is a part of the scriptures well let's go on now we're talking about eli samuel saul david jonathan uh, abigail these individuals i've talked a great deal about we talked a little bit about eli his failure as a a priest is one great um, accomplishment was he discipled or, or nurtured samuel and trained samuel Seemed to be a faithful man himself, but his children. He uh, is used of God to anoint Saul, and then he deals with this Saul who is faithless. Saul basically, the the primary problem Saul has is that he, he's 
he's focused on self and he he, he, he's not focused on obeying and doing what God said. His focus seems to be, he does, there is something about him that admires God, wants to worship, but it's, it's all form. It, it's all, it's about, uh, it's about form. It's about going to church. It's about going through the motions and going through, doing the religious thing, but it's not about obeying God, doing what God calls him and commands him to do and that seemed to be a problem he doesn't really have he doesn't catch the vision of what the king of god's people was to do he was to lead the people to trust god and to live to be god's people not just a nation and a strong nation and that sort of thing but but to be the people of god and to to live for god uh, and he didn't seem to have that in mind now what he actually gets what Samuel actually, uh, what Saul actually gets uh, put out of uh, of the palace, what he does wrong, what he's rejected for, and God has a clear command for him in in Samuel. <coughs> Where is it in Samuel chapter? What chapter is it? Um, Samuel's. Signs are fulfilled. Um, Saul is acclaimed king. Um, Samuel's farewell address. Let me see if I can. I'm trying to find exactly where he is rejected. Uh, but he he does not obey the command to completely destroy and to completely um destroy the God's enemies in this time of war. Uh, and, oh, I'm trying to find it here. Come on, Soapy. Um, he disobeys God and does not, uh, does not obey God when God tells him to destroy um, the Amalekites. And, and the, the king of the Amalekites was a man named Agog, Agag, and he was de- he was commanded to destroy them him, but he didn't do so, and then it, he is told, he is rejected as the king. Now Samuel kills him, but evidently some of the descendants were not killed, as as he had been told to do. Uh, some of the d- descendants of Agag were not killed, and years later, in about. 500 B.C., 480 B.C., in the time of Esther. Remember that man named Haman who turns out to be want to kill? He is one who is trying to have the people of Israel killed there when they are in Persia. And um, he is an Agagite. He is a descendant of Agag. And it's so interesting to see that because um, if Saul had been obedient, to do what he was told to do, uh, then they would not have had the problem that they have in the time of Esther. Uh, oh, it's in chapter 14. I finally found it. Uh, chapter 15. Saul destroys the Amalekites, but he allows Agag to live, which he is not supposed They kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves. They destroyed only what was worthless enough or of poor quality. And that is not what God had told him to do. Uh, 
I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Uh, Samuel was deeply moved when he heard this, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel had a vested interest. He wanted Saul to be successful. But Saul did not understand and doesn't understand, doesn't see things from God's perspective, God's kingdom, what God wanted to do with the people of Israel. Uh, and he just was not on, he's not in, in an understanding, not, he, he couldn't lead the people. He didn't have the vision. He didn't have God's purposes in mind. And of course, this came out in the end where he did not obey God. Here, if he had, they would not, like I said, uh, 400 years later now, they come, this Agagite, this descendant of Agag, and God God delivers them, of course. But uh, remember what I said before, when you look at a passage of Scripture, you look at the, the immediate context, the immediate situation that people are in. You can look at it from that point of view and learn some things from it. Then you look at the general context and the effect that it had in the immediate surrounding that individual, uh, the whole nation of Israel at the time under Saul. And then you look at the long range of what long range effect it had on God's people and on the redemptive plan of God. And in all three of those, you can see very clearly here that that Saul was not, he simply was not on the same page. He was not um, one looking for God's heart and now, David, on the other hand, let's leap to him if we can, is, seems to be a man who, and the Scripture says, a man after God's own heart. He does indeed love God, and he sees the vision of God for the people of Israel. You see that in the Psalms of David as he cries out to let, let God be worshipped, you know, let all the nations praise the Lord. And he uses his, his office and his, his authority as king to try to move the people to uh, to worship God, to follow God, and to be the people of God. So you see the difference, the primary difference between David and Saul. So there, there's a strong, maybe you see something as well. We'd like to hear from you if you'd like to give us a thought on all of these different individuals. Uh, Franklin has called some of your take on on Samuel, on Saul, on David, Jonathan, some of these individuals. Are there any of them that you think of as kind of favorite characters in any way, shape, or form? Ah, you fabulous soapy dollar. How is your beautiful granddaughter? Well, she, that beautiful, she's just getting more beautiful every day. She looks less like of her course. granddad and more like her grandmother. But <laughs> Oh, dear. Yeah, but oh, I, she's precious, Franklin. She's, she's the most beautiful little girl ever born on planet Earth, as every grandfather says about his granddaughter, aren't, right? Aren't they all? Aren't they, aren't all? they all? That's, That's for sure. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I had a couple of comments uh, about Saul. You know, uh, God... Well, the first transgression he did is he didn't obey God, like you said, and and then he lied. He said, oh, well, we, we took these best things so we could make a sacrifice to God and everything like that. Yeah. But the second one that he really screwed up on, uh, he was supposed – they were going to go into war, and uh, Samuel was supposed to come. And they were going to make the sacrifices and everything like that. Well, Saul got tired of waiting for Samuel. He was late. Uh-huh. So he's against the law of God because he only Levites and, and uh, the God's anointed 
were supposed to do those sacrifices, and that's when God really cut him off. Exactly right. Very, yeah. very, very good, very good, very observant. Uh, yeah, that was that was another big part of it. Is this uh, the king had his role in God's the, the priests and the prophets had theirs, and the king was not supposed to be doing that. And yeah, nobody but a Levite was supposed yeah. to do that, and he just didn't. Yeah, I've got a question wait. for you. Hmm. Yes, uh, uh, who who was Eli? Uh, who was he descended for? He was pretty close to uh, Aaron and 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 like that. But uh, how far down the lineage was he? That is really interesting. I I don't know. I'll have to look at further myself. He had priests. Yes. So yes. he had to be of the high of the lineage, a Levite, but of the lineage of Aaron. Uh, you know, I don't know his um, genealogy. I should look into that for sure. Yeah. Well, That's a my, very my mind question. is my Swiss cheese mind has unfortunately developed a horrible hole here. Now, when Aaron died, uh, his son uh, uh, Phineas. Was it? Phineas. No, no, Aaron's son. I, th- uh, I think his son was named Phineas. No, well, no, 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 no. Was it? Oh, El- El- Elimelech or yeah okay I was thinking it was Phineas but it seems like it is a ph no. name but when Aaron I know what you oh. mean when Aaron died when Aaron died the uh, father of Eli I believe may have been I'm, you know I'm, I'm not a, real sure about that that's a so, very so. good question though and I think it's e- it could be easily found out nowadays you could easily just Google Eli. And it would probably give you his. Yeah, it would probably give you his. Oh, that's too easy. I got to go to my Bible. <laughs> I but know, I'm I sitting know. in my car and it's dark. I know, but that, <laughs> uh, I'm finally getting used to it. I used to ask my grandchildren that. Say, what was this in it? Google it, Dad. Just Google it. Oh <laughs> no, I no! I realized that all that information is right there. But yeah, I, yeah. I, I will do that because I think that's a very interesting question. I wonder how Eli came into. You know, how how he came yeah. to be the high priest. Uh, yeah, and of course his sin was, uh, uh, although he, he didn't do anything about it, it's kind of like what we have these days where they say, oh, well, this person transgressed, this person did this, uh, so-and-so had a private uh, server in their basement and all like that. Yeah, but there's no uh, but consequences. No punishment. Yeah. No consequences. And so... Uh, he was very fat, Eli, uh-huh. apparently. Yes. And so he was profiting from his son's uh, practice of, of, of taking uh, the sacrifices, especially the ones where they say, well, you're supposed to burn the fat first. No, no, give it to me or we'll take it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and so uh, he got fat off of that, I think. Right, exactly. I, it, it sounds like that. We don't know that for sure, but it sounds like that's the situation. But well, yeah, you kind of a lesson to us, yeah. isn't it? You, you sure you know, is. You, and you, you, you let finger. evil go along, yeah. and, and you let uh, stuff like that go along, and you profit from it, and you don't do anything about it, and then what do you end up with? Falling off your chair and breaking your neck children, because you're so children fat. Actually, need. Uh, Children need and actually want discipline. They want, they, they're they going to test the boundaries. They want, you're not helping the child at all 
We need yeah, discipline. Yeah, but boy, they, they hate you when you do it. <laughs> in a moment, maybe in that moment. But if you do it correctly, yeah. lovingly, uh, I remember uh, James Dobson wrote a book about disciplining, uh, confident, raising confident children. And that was his thing. Mm. Is you, if you do it correctly, you don't do it out of anger and hatred, but you do it lovingly, you, you're fair, uh, and so on. You, and consistent. Yeah, and consistent. That's exactly right. And if at times if you make a mistake, you're willing to even admit that to the child and say, would you forgive Grandpa? Would you oh, forgive yeah. that? Great observation. Uh, and, and that's something we can look, about, look at, not only Eli, but later on with Samuel. You can look at it with, with uh, Saul and his children, the way he dealt with them. And, oh, yeah. and of course, and, they, you know, it's another thing, too, that, that Paul brought up. Uh, God always chooses the weakest the smallest, the least significant. Like, look what happened with Gideon. Yep. Uh, was tell me, was Gideon was the, of the tribe of Benjamin, wasn't he? Now you got me again. I think maybe you're right, oh, but I, I don't recall it. Yeah, because said. you were you were speaking earlier, and you were saying uh, who was uh, another one that was of the tribe of Benjamin that uh, uh, did great things. And, and, of course, Gideon was a judge. It may well have and been. One of the things he, yeah, the, one of the things he said, that, that my family is small and my tribe yeah. is small. Remember that Benjamin was the tribe that was almost wiped out at the end of the time of the judges. Remember that? Oh, was yeah, the, and then they had to steal wives for him. Exactly, <laughs> exactly right. Well, listen, I thank you for calling. We're just about out of time. Uh, you've raised some great okay. questions. And this, these are the kind of things that make sense. Yeah. Thank you, Franklin. Yeah. Good to hear Thank from you. Thank you, Sophie, and God bless you, and may he shine his light on you and your beautiful granddaughter. Thank you, my brother. Thank you very much. Well, I always love to hear from Franklin. He's so encouraging. We can learn something from, from him as well, encouraging one another, lifting and just encouraging us to be the best that, that we can as God's people. Well, that's our program for tonight. Uh, we're going to continue on now into 2 Samuel. Of course, we pick up now with the emphasis being not on Samuel and not on Saul, but now we'll move to this young man named David to the throne of Israel. So I hope you'll join us. Go to thebiblelive.com, listen to the scriptures with us, and let's get together next Sunday night here on The Bible Live. Have a great week. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.